We're going to be opening up in Matthew chapter 17. We're going to start 14 through 21. And when they were come to the, multi- to the multitude, there came unto him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is, a lunat- he is lunatic and sore vexed, and oft times falleth into the fire, and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as the grain of mustard seed, ye shall say to this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall, be, it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth out not by, but by prayer and fasting. Lord, we thank you for giving us this passage of Scripture to work with today and to talk about the subject that we're going to be talking about here, and that's lack of power, lack of strength. Be with us in this, in this time, O oh Lord God. Open up our hearts and minds. Let us not quench the Spirit, but let's work in cooperation with the Spirit that we might be better equipped to go into a sinful and dark world tomorrow and even today and profess you to humanity and give them an opportunity to come to know the gospel of peace. Jesus has seen a deficiency in his, in his apostles. Now, they, they've been given authority. Jesus had sent them out in the past. And I'm sure that they observed Jesus several times in what he was doing. But they didn't have the power at that point in time to be able to accomplish the will of God because they were lacking And Jesus said, this kind can only go out by faith, prayer, and fasting. There was a man born Thomas Edward Lawrence. He was born on August 16th, 1888 in Wales. He's popularly known as Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence became famous for his exploits as a British military liaison with the Arab Revolt during World War I. The desert raids of the British officer T.E. Lawrence and his Arab rebels tied down many Turkish soldiers who could have better been used at the front. Lawrence of Arabia's struggle against the Turks during the World War I was a classic guerrilla warfare 
and his personal account has become a classic of world literature. And of course, many of you have seen the movie Lawrence of Arabia. He uh, appreciated his allies, the ones he'd come to, to develop friendships with them, and he appreciated them very much, and he brought several of them to England in order to show his gratitude. They, they attended a joint session of Parliament between the House of Commons and the Parliament. They had an audience with Queen, and additionally, Lawrence wanted to thank them, and he said on the last night before they were to depart, Tell me one thing that you would like to have take back with you to Saudi Arabia. And they took him up to the motel room that they'd been staying in, and they went into the bathroom and they pointed to the faucet, and they said, we want faucets. And he said, well, what for? He says, well, we want to take them home so that we can put them in our tents and we can have water in the middle of the desert. Now, at that point in time, they didn't understand what a, what a water system was in the West. They didn't know that the faucet was only a fixture and a delivery means for the power to get from somewhere else to them. For the water to be able to come in abundance, not only that, not only cold water, but hot water. They didn't know that there was a hot water heater there. They didn't know that there was a pressurizing system there in order to bring the water up several floors in the hotel. But they wanted faucets. They didn't understand that the magic was not in the faucet. The magic is in everything that comes through. Spiritually, we don't have magic. Spiritually, we have will of Almighty God. Spiritually, we have the Holy Spirit. Spiritually, we listen to Jesus Christ. And that's what gives us the power by praying, praying to God and fasting. Fasting is really a necessary component of Christian living when it comes down to it because it teaches us discipline when we restrict what we're going to eat for a period of time and what we're going to drink. It gives us personal discipline to be able to survive through issues, spiritual issues. Now, the faucet, what they didn't realize was the faucet is, has no intrinsic value with respect to providing it. It could be 24 karat gold because it's diamond studded but it's still not going to work unless it's tied into a water system. We are not going to be able to fulfill some of the things that God has for us to fulfill if we do not get tied into the spiritual system. We are God's faucets. We are God's conduits. We are God's vessels. We are the ones that He uses in order to be able to do things. Now, the one thing that I cannot understand and the one thing that I cannot adequately explain is why God uses people who would be unlikely vessels. I listed a few of them here. Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. John Mark was rejected by Paul. 
Timothy had ulcers. Amos's only training was in the school of fig tree trimming. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Abraham too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. John was self-righteous. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses. John, John, Jonah ran from God. How many of us have done that when he's put something on our hearts? Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was uh, burned out. Martha and Mary, the sisters in the New Testament, Martha was a worrywart, and Mary may have been lazy. Noah got drunk, and that's not all. And did I mention that Moses had a short fuse? God has done a lot for me in my life. And if you, you don't believe it, you can ask my wife, did he ever have a temper? Oh, yeah. Moses and I have a lot in common. I had a terrible temper. And in one of those meetings where they said, you know, bring, it, bring every burden, bring every care, leave it at the altar. I finally did that. You know, we give lip service to it. We'll come down and we'll kneel at the altar and we say we're going to give everything over to Jesus, all the things that are, uh, that are uh, adversely impacting us. We're going to turn them over to Jesus Christ. And we do. And that we're spiritual pack rats. We get up and we start walking away and say, whoops, I just forgot something. And you go back and pick that problem up. Leave it alone. Let God deal with it. He has done it with me. Now, it took me several years. There was one person, I'll, I'll confess this, there was one person that absolutely had infuriated me. And I knew I was supposed to love that person. I knew I was supposed to care for that person. I knew I was supposed to pray for that person. But it was the most difficult thing I could do. So I brought that to the altar. And I laid it down to God. Now I prayed for that person every day. I still pray for that person. But I prayed for that person for 10 years and I prayed that God would take the anger away from me and then all of a sudden I had a revelation. I haven't been mad at that person for three, four years. God had done exactly what he says he'll do. My wife saw a demonstration of my anger. We were coming home from work in Columbus, Ohio. And... Uh, I got out of the car and slammed the door. She'd never had anybody do that before. Not that hard. When I got in the house, she was right at the front door. She turned to me very calmly and quietly said, don't you ever do that to me again. I listened to her. That came to the altar. God is a wonderful God. He he's, loves us. He wants us to be valuable tools in His arsenal fighting against Satan. Sorry about that. It's competing with my hearing aid.
God doesn't require a job interview. He doesn't hire and fire like most bosses because he's more our dad, Abba Father, than he is a hiring boss. He's not prejudiced or partial, not judging, not grudging, not deaf to our cry, not blind to our need. But one assurance that we have from Jesus Christ himself is in John 15, verse 16, you have not called, chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. He is not going to require you to do anything that he hasn't already made provision for you to be properly trained in. We see that like with Moses. Moses had three periods in his life. First, he was raised as the prince of Egypt. He learned how to lead men. He learned how to be a diplomat. He learned how to speak diplomatically. Then he was in the desert for 40 years. He learned how to live off the desert. He learned where to find water. He, he learned how to, to survive. And then God chose him to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And that was another mission of 40 years. And where was he? He was leading the nation of Israel to include their armies. And he was leading them into the desert, which he had just finished 40 years of mastering. And he was quite profitable for his father-in-law in the mastery of being a shepherd. God needs us to be faucets. In John chapter 7, verse 38, it says, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. We can be fountains of living water for those that are around about us, but the only way we can do that is if we are an effective faucet or an effective uh, transmission device like a straw, something that will bring it from one place to the other. You know, And even, even in my backyard, I've got a water spigot on the side of the house, but he can use several of us to be a chain in order to be able to take that from one spot and move it to others. In some cases, we're going to be more than just a conduit. We're going to be a hose so that we can take the water from its, its source and bring it to the object that God has for us to be able to minister to. God can have all the plumbing in place have the pump hooked up, ready to pour out the blessings on his people, on the world, but he needs to have vessels. He needs faucets. He needs us. And we need him more than he needs us. But he's willing to unite us in his religion, in his, his plan for the world and for each individual in it. When Elijah was performing a miracle for the prophet's widow, the oil was flowing freely. Remember that story in the Old Testament that uh, Elijah told, told her to gather vessels? And she gathered everything in the house. And then he says, no, go, go get more. 
She went to her neighbors and through the, the community and she got every empty bottle, container, bowl, anything that she could get. And then she was transferring from her cruise. Can you imagine one of those little deals? Maybe, maybe it was a bigger one. But a cruise, a bottle of oil. And she sits there and she starts pouring it into these big jars. And it just, this little glass keeps pouring out oil until the jar is full. And then she has to ask her son, go get another vessel. And they bring the other vessel. And it gets full. And another, and another, and another. Eventually, the oil stops. But it only stops because there's a lack of a vessel. You find that in 2 Kings 4, 6. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. God will continue to flow blessings on us if we will continue to be an appropriate vessel for Him to be able to use. You know, Sis said this morning that she used to be concerned about her crying. I'm not used to being... I'm not... New to that myself. I find that the older I get, the more I get into Scripture, the more I love God, the more I love Jesus, and the more I want to serve Him, that I have gotten very emotional. There are passages of Scripture that I'll cry at. And don't let me watch the, the, the salvation of Christ, the movie, The Crucifixion, by Mel Gibson, I'll bawl my eyes out. That my God, and remember, we can't even begin to approximate what Jesus went through in our minds and our conception. But my God was willing to do that for me and me alone? Absolutely. Each one of us has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Each one of us was saved by His grace, by His actions, by His dying on the cross, being buried, resurrecting on the third day, and ascending to heaven. We have eternal life. We have been, when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the old person dies. Now granted, we're still here. We're still in this clay suit that we've got. But the old person is dead. What do you do with dead people? You bury them. But what's going to happen once they're buried? We know by Scripture that they're going to resurrect. Everything that Jesus Christ said would happen, happens. And we manifest that when somebody gets baptized. They died out to their trespasses and sins because Jesus Christ has covered them over with His righteousness, His blood. So you bury the body. Now we use immersion. And that's when you go below the surface of the water, you've been buried. And there's time passes. Maybe it's only three seconds. Maybe it's only four. Maybe it's a maximum of five. 
at that point in time, and then you're brought up. You come up out of the water. You, re you resurrect through that water, and then you come up the steps, and you're ascending higher than what you were baptized in. So everything that Jesus said would happen to us has been manifest in what we do as our first act of obedience of being a Christian, and that's getting baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. Confessing Jesus Christ and turning from your sins, that saves you. But if you can't be happy when you get out of that water, then your spirit is going in the wrong direction. One of the things that we have to remember, most importantly, God will work through us and we will be able to accomplish His will because He has given us His authority, His power, His strength in order for us to be able to accomplish it. And we have to remember who healed that person. Who made that person better. I may have been an instrument, but it sure wasn't me. God is the ultimate source of every answer to every prayer. <clears throat> we go to Him and we ask that He work and provide. We're asking for what He did on earth. We're asking that to be done to our brothers and sisters who are facing disease, illnesses. And it's our humility. He doesn't expect us to be all-powerful. He doesn't expect us to be all-knowing. He expects us to be obedient and to trust in Him. Believe. Have faith. God is always seeking men and women to work His will. To be a conduit. To be a faucet, if you will. To be an outlet. So the job market with God is always open. All you need to do is make yourself available. And I guarantee you, He will find something for you to do. And He will inspire you to go in that direction. And the one surety that you have... is that He is with you. Don't doubt. I ran away from preaching. See, I, read, I read in Revelation where it says, if you add one jittle or dot, jot or tittle or remove one word or add to this testimony, all of these plagues are going to... Not me, baby. Not going to happen to me. So I remember one Sunday at the old church, I was right about where Terry was in distance in the congregation. And it was a Sunday evening service, and I mean the spirit was strong that night. I'm out in the center of the aisle, didn't even know how I got there. 
But Pastor Orvey looks down at me and says, yeah, Brother Chubb, you got something to say? Here I am looking around, you know, in the middle of the aisle, and I said, yeah, I think I've been called to preach. I quit running away from God, and I was willing to let Him use me as a vessel. Now, I've been in seminary, and I learned how to, to preach a message. I knew when the hands were going to go up. I knew that when you never you never pointed, you always used an open hand because if you point, see what's happening is you're convicting somebody else, but you're convicting yourself three times more than the other person. So at that point in time, uh, when I accepted being, uh, you know, the preaching, I've trusted in God. Now, I know today I'm using notes. There's a reason for that, and I won't go into it. But at this point in time, the notes are just a guide for me to know where I am in my presentation to you. That's all it is. It's a roadmap. God provides us a roadmap right here. Where do you learn how to preach? Right here. And I don't have the phony baloney. When my hand goes up, it it goes up for a reason. I may not even know what the reason is, but it's not pre—it's not uh, uh, rehearsed. I preach what the Lord gives me at the time the Lord gives it to me, even though I may have some directions every once in a while. In Romans chapter seven, verse eighteen, it says, "For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing." For to will is present with me, but to perform that which is good, I find not. It's the battle of good and evil that we face. Without without God's good, without the Holy Spirit's infusion of good, without Jesus Christ's instruction and assurance, I can't figure out how to do things. I can't figure that out on my own. I need assistance. I need exactly what God has to offer me, and that's grace. That's knowledge. But most importantly, I also ask for wisdom. Because you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't have the wisdom to appropriately use it, then again, you're a useless vessel. I must understand that I am only a vessel. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that, is ex- that it, uh, the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We're the earthen vessel. Because we're earthen, worldly, we're in that continual battle. Christians still sin. To say you don't have any sin, you're a liar. Scripture tells us that. But we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And it says in Scripture that if you do sin, 
You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Humble yourself, confess your sin, and turn from your evil way. And He is right and justice, just to forgive you your sin. God not only gives us salvation and gives us the strength to walk a path of righteousness going from the day we were saved to the day we stand before Jesus Christ, and that's that journey of sanctification. He stands ready, willing, and able to help us. The power is God's. It's not mine. We can't duplicate God's power. We can't do it on our own. I can't preach enough. I can't teach Scripture enough to where I grow on my own. I, I have to have, just like everybody else in here, when I read Scripture, I need to have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When I read Scripture, it has to be in a prayerful mode. You know, people say God doesn't talk to you in, in, when you pray. I pray with my Bible close at hand. There have been times that I've been working on a problem. And then it, while I'm praying, I get an inspiration to go to a particular chapter and a particular verse. And I'll go there, and it's got the answer to the question that I've been asking. Or at least maybe it has part of the puzzle. That's exciting. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, For I say, through the grace given to, unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Just because God lets you do something, remember, let's you do something. Doesn't mean that you're the one that did it. God wants to use a humble and contrite heart. That's what we need to go with Him. Even <clears throat> in one of my favorite life verses, is 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have the United States of America healed? Well, we aren't going to do it until... And it doesn't have to be everybody. God's Work, God's challenge to us is if my people who are called by my name, I know a lot of people will say, well, that's an, that's an Old Testament verse. What's it got to do with me? Isn't Jesus Christ the second person of the Trinity? Isn't he God? 
He is. So at that point in time, we call ourselves Christians. If we could unite under the same verse of Scripture and do what it says, we may not forestall, we may not stop the end, but we can sure forestall it and give more people more time to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior before it's too late. Jesus is teaching his disciples in the verse we have this morning a very important lesson. Where did you go and what do you do in order to have the power to do things? Now, I think they were well-intentioned. They had undoubtedly seen Jesus cast out devils before. I'm sure that they were witnesses to his permitting the, the demons and the man in the tomb of the Gatherings to go into the swine. And they would, they would much rather kill themselves than be possessed by the devil. I'm sure they saw that. So when they come to having this man come up to them, they have looked at Jesus. They have watched very closely what he does. They've seen the hand gestures. They've seen all the things that he has done. They have heard his words and they practiced his words so that they could say them with the right inflection. They'd done everything they'd see Jesus do and they couldn't win. They could not accomplish the task that was brought to them. Why? They lacked a means of getting the Spirit from its source into them that were vessels. We have to be willing and worthy to be the vessels God calls us to do. And then He can manifest amazing things on this earth. There's no magic in the faucet. But when the, the father brought the child to, to Jesus, Jesus had the authority. What do we see Jesus doing Some, so many times in Scripture? He's getting away. He's setting himself aside and he's going into seclusion to be able to pray to his father. That's what we need to do. Paul tells us to pray always. Well, how can I do that? I've got a job. You go ahead and you offer him the works of your day and the accomplishment of those works as a mode of prayer. Then by the things that you're doing, you're, you're sweeping the house for the sake of your family. You're doing it for God. And, the, and when you increase you know, your attention in doing it, that pleases God. Preachers get into trouble when they learn to preach. Singers get into trouble when they learn how to finally learn how to sing. You know, the most beautiful thing about the singing in this church is it comes from the heart. 
You can't teach that. They either have it or they don't. But they can ask for it and they can receive it if they're sincere and they're asked and they hold on to the faith saying, I'm going to get this. With respect to wisdom, we're assured of getting wisdom if we ask for it and believe that God will give it to us and He says, you've got it. As we close out, one of the most significant things that we can come to the conclusion of, and I think everybody in here has, is that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Undoubtedly. The only way to get to heaven. Now, I've been one, I was raised in one of those legalistic religions. Do this, do that, do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. And that was the way you got to heaven. No, you don't get to heaven by works. You get to heaven by accepting Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross and having that blood touch your soul and your heart and begin the change process that's going to be delivered and guided by the Holy Ghost during that walk from the day you accepted Christ until the day you stand before Him. Discovering Jesus Christ was the greatest event in my life. Reading His Scripture and telling me how to maintain that grace is the second greatest thing that happened to me in my life. The priorities in my family are God, my wife, the church, and then everything else. But God is first. So in 1847, a doctor from Edinburgh his name was Sir James Simpson, discovered that chloroform could be used as an antiseptic or an antiseptic to render people insensible to the pain of surgery. From his early experiments, Dr. Simpson made it possible for people to go through the most dangerous and painful operations without fear of pain and suffering. Some people even claim that it was the greatest discovery of his life. Well, a few years later, Dr. Simpson was uh, lecturing at Edinburgh, and he had a student within his staff say, what do you consider to be the most valuable discovery of your lifetime? And the student was asking this and in believing that Dr. Simpson was going to go ahead and say chloroform. But here's a quote on what Dr. Simpson said. My most valuable discovery was when I discovered myself a sinner and that Jesus Christ was my Savior. The most valuable discovery that you and I can make this morning is this. No matter how smart I am, 
no matter how well I can preach, no matter how well I can organize, I am still just a sinner saved by grace. There is no power in me. I am, I am just a faucet, a conduit, a vessel through which his power moves. There is no magic. There's only Jesus. And I need him more than he needs me. So, we're going we're gonna to change things up just a little bit this morning. Instead of having a, an altar call, everybody is welcome to come up here. We have two members that are facing surgeries, procedures. Heidi Parrott is one, and the other one is Nick Van Hoos. So what I'd like to do is bring you up with them, and we will close out this, this uh, service praying for them and the success of their procedure with Nick and the major surgery that Heidi's going to go through.